Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Pastor Colton Pipperton here with you today on podcast number three. Here we have a series we're actually starting today separately called Savior and Lord. It's interesting, at the time of recording this, we had just actually had a service on the night previous as to the day that I'm recording. We had a wonderful time with the Lord. We had 16 students, and we started this brand new series, which we're going to talk about today, Savior and Lord. And God kind of led me in this path because I try to base it on the saying, some of you guys might have heard, that we love Jesus as our Savior, but we don't like Him as our Lord. And so I'm spending a couple of weeks to try to, I guess, uh, intimately describe what it means for God and Christ to be our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we often talked about being set, you know, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago t- talking about being saved from certain sins, uh, being delivered, being set free, living for Christ, and being saved and plucked from that. But now living for Christ as He is our Lord and reverently understanding that we are to serve Him. I wrote something in the blog that you guys can go check out on my page, Colton Pemberton, or you can go on Facebook, of course, and check out it from PT Students. Uh, but I also wrote it on the website, which is PTC's com. It's interesting. I wrote this and it never really occurred to me. I've never really heard somebody say this directly, but I thought it was pretty interesting. So I, I wrote it down and I don't know, I'm praying it was just God breathed because I was sincerely thinking about um, what it really means for Christ to be our Lord. I thought about it in, in this fashion. It has to be everything in our life uh, to become saved of God's goodness. We can't, of course, save us, save us, uh, save ourselves. We personally have to come to Christ and Christ save us. So, really, it should be all about what Christ has done at the cross, ever, always in our life. But you could really say it in this way: God, help me to do what you've called me to do under being saved for you. But really, it's all Christ to become saved. And then after we are saved, we should ask ourselves this, God, what do I do for you? You've saved me. You've set me free. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. My heavenly address has been set. I'm on my way to see you after this life, of course. But we have to ask ourselves, now that we're saved, now that we're living for God, what are we to do for God? And that's a question that all of us have. I think one of the biggest struggles in students' lives, and even sometimes in young adulthood, and even later on in life, we struggle with what is our purpose? There's been a lot of questions, a lot of books written about it, a lot of sermons preached about it, but what's our purpose in life? Well, really, truthfully, our number one focus should be being a servant of the Most High God. And so if you guys do me a favor, if you're not driving at the moment, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I'm excited to talk to you just a little bit about uh, what it means to be saved and what it looks like when you say yes to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul is writing in here, uh, Spirit of God inspiring him to do so. Verse 1, I'm going to read till about verse 6. The Bible shows us this. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Verse 2, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
I want to just talk to you guys for a few moments of, of course, as I mentioned before, salvation. But what this really paints, these first six verses of Romans chapter 6, starting Paul's sanctification talk throughout chapter 6 through 8, Paul really talks about what happens at salvation. I love this. He paints such a beautiful portrait of really what took place when you said yes to Jesus Christ. It's something I say all the time because I try to make it as simple as possible. Oftentimes, we as Christians try to complicate it. I'm here to tell you today that we have the opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture and understand what happened. Paul, of course, saying in verse 6, he said, look, are you going to sin and continue in sin after you've been saved? No, God forbid. Let that thought, the, the, Greek, the Greek text actually entails, it's saying, be it far from you. Let that thought travel as far as the east to the west from you. Don't even think that it's okay to ever sin in your life. Paul says this, God forbid. He's speaking very strongly and boldly. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says, oh, don't you know, in modern day English, he says that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were also baptized into his death. That means that the desires of the flesh should have died at the moment you got saved because God places his desires in your heart. One uh, psalm that is, is probably talked about most often than a lot of different psalms is Psalms 34 and verse 7, if I'm uh, correct on it. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That means that we ought to delight ourselves in him. And we know this, that after we do so and after we spend time and taste and see that God is good, we have the desire of God implanted into us. And so our desires become Him, uh, become His. But in verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That means the desires that you had before salvation have now died. And if they haven't died, I'm asking you today, if have you placed your faith exclusively in Christ and what He did for us at the cross of Calvary? It says this in the latter part of verse 4, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in the newness of life. My friend, if you're not walking in the newness of life, I say this as sensitively as I know how to, you need to check where you are in your walk with Christ. You see, this is God's promise to man, is that we can have the newness of life every single day. Oftentimes our Christian walk can get stale because we're not spending time in the Word. We're not actually before the Father praying. We're not doing what we're called to do as Christians. Now look, those disciplines will never get you in more right standing with God. I have to always preface talking about works uh, by where our faith should be correctly put. But I must say this, that if without your works, your faith is dead. James talks about this. But we know this, our faith personally has to be, has to be placed in the person of Christ Jesus. After your faith has been placed there, there will be works to follow. And these things are the new desires that God puts in your heart. You used to, I, had a, I talked to a gentleman the other day, a very sweet guy. He said this, he said, Colton, you know, I used to dress real nice going to the club. And he said, I, I dressed to the max, dressed to the nines, I always had the newest, latest style on my back. I was going to walk in the club and be the best looking guy there. He said, now that I've got saved, you know what I do? I've spent all the money that I was buying clothes for the club and I'm buying them for suits and, and dress clothes because when I go to church, I'm dressing my very best for God. And I just thought that was so sweet and so incredible that the desire that he used to have to go look good at the club, now he wants to honor God in his clothing. I thought that was incredible. And I think it's a perfect picture of who we are in Christ. Once we were dead in our sins and trespasses, like Paul says, but now that we've been saved, we have a desire to serve and honor our Heavenly Father. Verse 4, in the latter part, like I just mentioned, it says, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. I want to point out a particular term that really sticks out to me. 
in this is the term should, because we ask ourselves, you know, if, if we're in Christ, we ought to be in the newness of life. But Paul uses the term here, and in the Greek language, it's a, what we could, we, I guess you could call like a, con- a contingent verb, which means that it's contingent upon something. It relies upon something to have newness of life. It relies upon your ability to believe and have faith in Christ exclusively, not in yourself, not in the things of the world, not even in your own Christian disciplines. It relies upon the fact that you have faith and total faith in Christ, that we could walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, it says, For if you have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Talking about sin as an entity. Talking as like sin has a will. Sin has a mind. It has a desire for you. We can go back to Genesis and talk about that. But it says that henceforth we should not serve sin. After you've been saved, the Bible shows us this, that term sin being the Greek word hamartia. It's a, a body, a presence. It's a being. It's not you know an act of sin, but it's an actual entity. We often call it and refer to as the sin nature of mankind that has been passed down from Adam and Eve. We can say it like this. Bible says through Paul in verse 6 of chapter 6 in Romans, he says, we should henceforth not serve sin now that we're planted in the, right, the likeness of Christ. Because look, I like to say it like this. We're co- crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with Christ Jesus. That means just in the likeness of Christ's death and his resurrection, you, my friend, by saying yes to Jesus and making the simple decision to serve him, have been also co-crucified, co-buried, and co-raised from the dead. I love you so much. I hope this teaching has been a benefit to you. Uh, I'm going to be coming back the following week. We're going to spend more time on the Lord part. We talked a little bit about salvation, what it looks like, how we get saved. And I want to give you the opportunity today, I would never let this try to slip from me, that you too can have the joy and peace that I often talk about in this Bible. You might be struggling with something. You might be listening and thinking to yourself, you're no good. You have no self-worth. You uh, don't think very highly of yourself. You feel like life's not worth living. I'm here to tell you today that that's not the case. God himself sent his one and only son to die for you to be saved. Um, So I have the opportunity to present to you that you truly can have peace, joy, and comfort uh, because that's what the Holy Spirit is. He is our comforter. I love you so much. Thanks for tuning in with us. We had 16 yesterday at the recording of this. Um, It is September the 12th, and so we had a good day in the Lord yesterday, also honoring, of course, it being 9-11. We thank God for his uh, grace in this time of uh, remembering, of course, uh, what had taken place. Um, So I love you guys so much. I thank you. I appreciate you so much listening to us. I pray that God would just grow this podcast, grow this student ministry. I was praying today, and I I know I sounded like I'm about to close three times now, but I want to mention to you just for a moment real quick before I end. Um, I was in prayer today. Uh, We have prayer on Wednesdays at the church. And I remember asking the Lord, uh, and I want to say this recorded so that I can look back at this sometime and see what God does, but I'm asking the Lord for in my time serving here in Savannah, Tennessee, that eventually, and I know this is something big, I might sound foolish, you know, despising not the days of small beginning, it might sound like I'm a crazy wild man, but I'm asking the Lord for 300 students. 
And I know that sounds like a lot. That would be an absolutely ginormous student ministry, but I think it's God possible. God could give us more than that. I know he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we could even ask or think. And I'm asking that the Lord would give us 300 students. And that that number just came to me. Uh, God, I don't know if he spoke it to me uh, audibly, but I just felt that in my spirit. And I'm asking the Lord for 300 students in my time serving here as student pastor, Um, whether that's salvation, whether that's uh, going on for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'm just asking God for 300 students um, in my time of ministry here in this wonderful city and in this wonderful church. I love you so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.